0: Fourteen years ago, I was stabbed in the throat. This is kind of a long story, and less interesting than it sounds. A lot of people have told me about their own near-death experiences over the years, often in harrowing medical detail, imagining that those details, how many times they rolled the car, how many vertebrae shattered, how many months spent in traction, will somehow convey the subjective psychic force of the experience the way some people will relate the whole narrative of a dream, in a futile attempt to evoke its ambient feel. Except for the 10 or 15 minutes during which it looked like I was about to die, which I would prefer not to relive, getting stabbed wasn't even among the worst experiences of my life. In fact, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. After my unsuccessful murder, I wasn't unhappy for an entire year. Winston Churchill's aphorism about the exhilaration of being shot at without result is verifiably true. I was reminded of an old Ray Bradbury story, The Lost City of Mars, in which a man finds a miraculous machine that enables him to experience his own violent death over and over again, as many times as he likes, in locomotive collisions, race car crashes, exploding rocket ships, until he emerges flayed of all his Christian guilt and unconscious longing for death, forgiven and free, finally alive. I can't claim to have been continuously euphoric the whole time. It's just that, during that grace period, nothing much could bother me or get me down. The horrible thing that I'd always dreaded was going to happen to me had finally happened. I figured I was off the hook for a while. In a parallel universe, only two millimeters away, the distance between my carotid and the stiletto. I had been flown home in the cargo hold instead of in coach. As far as I was concerned, everything in this life was what Raymond Carver, in writing of his own second chance, called gravy. My friends immediately mocked me out of my self-consciousness about the nerve damage that had left me with a lopsided smile. I started brewing my own dandelion wine in a big Amish crock. I listened to old one-hit wonders, much too stupid to name. And I developed a strange new laugh that stayed with me to this day, a raucous, barking thing that comes from deep in the diaphragm, the laugh of a much larger man that makes people in bars or restaurants look over for a second to make sure I'm not about to open up on the crowd with a weapon. I don't laugh this way all the time, certainly not when I'm just being polite. The last time it happened was when I told my friend Harold, you don't understand me in mock wounded protest at some unjust charge of sleazery and he retorted no sir i understand you very well it is you who do not understand yourself the laugh always seems to be in response to the same elusive joke some dark hilarious universal truth not for one passing moment did it occur to me to imagine that god must have spared my life for some purpose even if i'd been the type who is prone to such silly notions I would have been rudely disabused of it by the heavy-handed coincidence of the Oklahoma City bombing occurring on the same day I spent in a coma. If there is some divine plan that requires my survival and the deaths of all those children in daycare, I respectfully declined to participate. What I had been was not blessed or chosen, but lucky. Not to turn my nose up at luck. It's better to be lucky than just about anything else in life, and if you're hearing this now, you're among the lucky too. I wish I could recommend the experience of not being killed to everyone. It's a truism that this is why people enjoy thrill-seeking pastimes, ranging from harmless adrenaline fixes like horror movies and roller coasters to what are essentially suicide attempts with safety nets, like bungee jumping and skydiving. The trick is that to get the full effect, you have to be genuinely uncertain that you're going to survive. The best approximation would be to hire an incompetent, cluzo esque hitman to assassinate you. It's one of the maddening perversities of human psychology that we only notice we're alive when we're reminded we're going to die, the same way some of us appreciate our girlfriends only after they've become exes. I saw the same thing happen, in a more profound and lasting way, to my father when he was terminally ill. A lightning an amused indifference to the nonsense that the rest of us think of as the serious business of the world. A neighbor was suing my father over some property dispute during his illness, but if you tried to talk to him about such practical matters, he'd just sing you old songs like a bird in a gilded cage in a silly, quavering falsetto until you gave up.